Rhymes with Decorah is a project of Inspired Media. Find us online at iloveinspired.com. Welcome back to Rhymes with Decorah, companion podcast project of Inspired Media. I'm your host, Benji Nichols. Thank you for being along for the ride. Show number 20 today. I am super excited about this show. I have a very special guest on a topic that I have been waiting patiently to cover. Uh, Brigitte Mead, thank you for being here today, taking time out of your day and your schedule to come chat with us. Uh, I have known you for many years from around the community, but again, not really known you uh, one-on-one, and it's so fun to be able to be here and talk with you. Pleasure's all mine. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, uh, Brigitte, we're going to talk a little bit about your background and uh, your connection to Northeast Iowa and your lifelong uh, educational pursuits and helping people of all ages understand lots of amazing science-based education. Uh, But we're also here to talk about a really cool topic that is not something that's necessarily brand new to Decora uh, or or the news and whatnot, but it's the Decora Impact Crater uh, and really the story of Jean Young. And she is the woman who helped us realize that there is indeed under our direct region a giant impact crater that has shaped a lot of our uh, area uh, in geology and uh, history, absolutely. So uh, welcome to the show, first and foremost. And uh, uh, you know, let's go back a little bit. Tell us about your roots to Northeast Iowa and also um, how you got into your uh, career in education. Okay. Well, my family history goes back to the very first Europeans that came to Winnesheet County, um, great, 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 great grandfather, <laughs> um, and connections sort of on and off ever since. And um, I came to teaching later in life, having resisted being a teacher, um, but I come from seven generations, and so it was sort of like being uh, doomed to go to the coal mines sooner or later. <laughs> I had to become a teacher. And I was um, so fortunate to get to teach at uh, sweet little North Winnesheek School for 24 years. And I taught science there. Yeah, and we were just talking. I had several friends uh, coming through high school in the, in the North Winnesheek district and, and uh, knew several people out in that direction. And, of course, you came in at about that time in the mid-'90s, I think. Is mm-hmm. that right? That's right. Yeah, and then 24 years up until more recently when uh, North Winnesheek finally converged with the Decorah district and some of those things. But uh, 24 years of teaching young people. Uh, yes. what, were you, what were you teaching them mostly? Well, I started out as the high school biology teacher, and... Um, then discovered that I had a, a, I'll say a talent for working with middle schoolers and I really specialized in middle school science for a long time. And um, the great thing about North Wind is that we essentially had unlimited field trips and I would do at least six or eight field trips a year, many of them related to geology um, as I got to um, have Gene Young um, Absolutely. leading some of those. And... Um, then as Northwind got smaller and smaller, I, of course, the last year I ended up teaching first grade math oh. <laughs> <laughs> along with all of the science. Do what is needed, correct? Yes, that's right. <laughs> and math, of course, the language of everything. So. Right, right. Uh, no, but so it's really a, a fun story for me um, to think through. Uh, and of course, your ties. So Jean Young was uh, a, an incredibly fascinating person in our region. Um, through your work, both in education and then just socially being around, you got mm-hmm. to know who Jean was. Uh, and can you give us just a little bit of background on, on maybe how you met Jean? or who she was? I met Jean through uh, Kent Simmons uh, in the philosophy department at Luther. 
and uh, she was an eclectic character involved in many ways, one of the founders of the food co-op. Um, she uh, was both Buddhist and Wiccan, and um, <laughs> she loved the geology of this area, and I was curious, and so she yeah. started taking me on field trips whenever. And then later I actually worked with her and the Iowa Geological Survey I did the driving for when she was wow. doing some work for the yeah. for the survey. So through this process, you were teaching young people, learning about the area uh, and teaching them yourself, and you kind of came across this person who had been doing more digging and researching and also had kind of a passion for sharing that info, uh, and, and especially probably with young people, of course. That's a very yeah. and invigorating she had a, process at times, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she had a real talent for inspiring people to be curious about rocks. Oh. I mean, myself, I started out just being an animal person and then later came to being a plant person. And it was Jean that um, just through her sheer joy at understanding um, our earth inspired others. And she inspired me. And, and then wow. I tried to share that with kids, too. That's an amazing thing to have in your life, a person like that. That's, yeah. a, that's a very powerful, yeah. powerful thing. And of course, translating that to young people or people of any age really is another mm. uh, amazing connection. Um, so through your process, you taught at North Wind, and then you also had the opportunity to do some teaching at Luther, correct? Yes, that's right. Um, Luther and North Wind had a sharing agreement for a while, and I taught the science education courses for both elementary and secondary educators. And that was a great partnership because um, students were able to um, do more practical work teaching because we had a captive audience right there at North Wind. Yeah. And we had the flexibility that other schools can't have. Uh, we'd Small is good. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, that, that sounds like an incredible opportunity. So not only are, are you teaching young people, but now you are helping uh, young adults learn how to teach young people. That is a whole nother process, right? Right. Yep. But an incredible process. So you yourself were, were doing, you know, both of those things at certain points in time. And along the way, Jean herself was kind of an interesting person. She was um, someone that I've heard described and we talked about as a sort of an independent geologist as such. Like she just had a, a passion for this. So right. Right. she'd picked up over time she she had she had everything but her doctorate um, and uh, you have to keep in mind that back in the 50s 60s 70s um, there weren't any female geologists and mm. she had children and um, she was poor and so she wasn't able to finish her doctorate and so she didn't have that formal recognition but what she had was hours and hours and hours and hours of field work wow. that um, professional geologists might not have and there was a story still told of her that um, if you were out driving with her you could you could blindfold her remove the blindfold anywhere and she could immediately tell you which rock layer you were in and which fossils you would find Oh my goodness. And nobody has that knowledge anymore. Wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that is just a, that's a knowledge gained from time yeah. spent mm -hmm. in, a, in an area. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, interestingly enough, so Jean herself uh, was not from the area originally, but was uh, from out east um, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania area, is that mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, did go to, obviously went to college, went to Oberlin, is that correct? Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and then spent some time on the East Coast, uh, Boston area perhaps, found her way back to Iowa. Uh, and then to the Northeast Iowa region. Yes, a voice in her head 
called her to Quandal, <laughs> and she followed the voice and lived in Highlandville for the rest of her life, or that the Highlandville area. is a fantastic story and something I can also appreciate and understand on a certain level. I think <laughs> maybe that's how I got back here. I'm not sure. No. Uh, but that is a really, it's a cool story um, that she ended up here. And, and as you mentioned, I mean, had had a family, had had kids, had done these things, but was, was not well off, uh, did not come here to retire, did not come here to, no. <laughs> to uh, you know, any of those things. I mean, she came here as a, as a place she wanted to be uh, yeah, and, she, and study. She, yes. Um, she had this other half of her life, which was her art, which um, you could do a whole other program on mm-hmm. um, with the artists from the area. Um, but she drove the mail truck between Decorah and La Crosse, uh, the night truck, for many, many, many years. and um, That's she, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. And, and, and was putting it together. Yeah, piece by piece. found a and, way to make her life work. And over time, uh, her interest, of course, in geology as well, uh, brought her to um, sort of a position at Luther College. Uh, of course, not on staff, not not uh, or not you know in faculty, right. not teaching, not doing those things. But what was she doing? Well, uh, she worked with Dick Kellogg, who was a physicist there, and um, he he taught the geology courses, and he would say that she actually knew more geology than he did, so she helped with those courses, she helped with the field work, and uh, she eventually became the curator for the geology collection, uh, which was considerable. It had been um, gathered from or donated from multiple sources, and she was very meticulous in um, documenting all of those specimens. She was, yes, she was literally in charge of all the rocks. She was in charge of all the rocks <laughs> in a dungeon underneath the library. <laughs> Which is a phenomenal, that's a, a perfect setup for Jean, isn't it? Yeah, it is. There probably weren't any dragons down there yet, but. Uh, uh, she was working on it. <laughs> <laughs> that is another fun, a fun fact that you have mentioned along the way and others that uh, what her, one of her favorite mythic things was a dragon. Right. Which might tie into this story in a minute here uh, as, right. we, as we get down the line. Um, so interestingly, uh, your your connection to Jean was through education and sharing some of this knowledge, this, this built-up knowledge with young people of all ages. Uh, and then, of course, just a friendship that kind of forged and the knowledge mm-hmm. she was sharing with you and others in the community. Um, a really interesting person, uh, you know, on, on so many layers. I think I remember meeting Jean... Um, and more in her artist, with her artist hat on, a friend of mine. Uh, I was friends with the Meyer family, Barb and Dave and their kids. And um, Barb had a store downtown for many years. And I think she sold some of Jean's cards for her. And so I remember Jean coming in and talking to her and having no idea about any of the rest of this information. But that was my my connection to knowing who Jean was, which is, is really fun. Um, as you also mentioned, uh, a fascinating person and maybe had some influence on other people and things before we dive too far into the impact creator story. Um, she also had a really close connection to uh, Rumanji, uh, or what became Rumanji, the, uh, the Buddhist monastery uh, outside of Decora, right? That's right. Um, she introduced herself to um, Shokin, uh, the current abbot, um, at a coffee shop um, right, <laughs> <laughs> right down the street here, um, and that developed into a long-term uh, friendship, and when he had a moment of despair, she was the one who said, you should just go for it. Wow. And he did. And now there's this amazing, beautiful Buddhist monastery yeah. uh, there. And Jean's ashes are, are buried there. Yeah, that's an amazing. And then worth mentioning at this moment in the story. So Jean uh, was alive and in this area for quite a while. She passed away in 2007. So the rest of this story we're going to tell is sort of 
uh, monumental because she is the impetus for how all of this came to be, but uh, passed away really as it was all coming to be. There's a lot of a lot of famous stories like that in history, right? People are often not recognized until they are gone, um, but it's worth uh, worth mentioning. So it was 2007 that Jean passed away mm-hmm. uh, in that in that process. So um, okay, so we are going to take a quick break here in a minute, but the part of the story we're getting to that's the most interesting to me is indeed uh, the Decora Impact Crater. And so I think we could tell quickly that Jean had been basically piecing together a life here, following her passions, uh, her knowledge base, uh, her work through Luther had tied some of this together, but it was kind of another gig uh, that led her to seeing another glimpse of something, right? Can you tell us about that? Well, uh, she knew the people at the Iowa Geological Survey and they knew that she had um, an extraordinary level of knowledge. So she was contracted to help them with um, mapping the St. Peter uh, formation. And the purpose of this was to help people with knowing how deep their wells should go. As Jean did this meticulous work of going through old well records, she noticed an anomaly and um, was just persistent about trying to figure out why that anomaly was there. What, what really could have otherwise been, I, I can't imagine, wasn't fairly boring work for a lot of people. Uh, oh, yeah. If they were handed it, that. You were, you were not out searching for a scientific discovery. You were literally studying how deep someone should drill their well so they have clean water. Right. Which is really important. It's very important, but it's... <laughs> not necessarily. It, um, if, you, if you look at those records, uh, it's... There's a lot of detail, and it's not really very interesting, as you said. Sure. Um, but the thing that she discovered in those records was a layer of shale. Right. She discovered uh, a layer of, of black shale that shouldn't be there. And uh, eventually, over time, years of looking at these records, she realized that they were clustered in one area, mm-hmm. and they, it didn't exist anywhere else. Uh-huh. And that's when she, in her dogged, persevering way, kept telling the geological survey, you need to get up here and figure out what's going on. I love that. And I think that's the perfect moment to hang on for one second. We're going to do a little quick break and we'll be back with the rest of uh, as much of the story as we can tell of Gene Young and the Decora Impact Crater and what that means. So Brigitte Mead, thank you so much for being here today. We're going to be right back. This is Rhymes with Decora. Rhymes with Decora is brought to you by Impact Coffee, roasting and serving the world's finest coffees in Decora since 2015. Visit us on Water Street, open daily for coffee and Nordic waffles, cocktails, beer and wine, every Thursday through Saturday. Download our app for quick and easy ordering and pickup. Hey, that's our friend Sean Brown from Impact Coffee and Decora. We thank Impact Coffee for helping us make this show possible today. It's Rhymes with Decora made possible by Impact Coffee today. Find them online at impactcoffee.com or on Water Street. Check it out. You never know who you might meet wandering into the coffee shop. It's a good story and it's a good place to be. Thank you, Impact, for that help. You are listening to Rhymes with Decora. We are a companion podcast project of Inspired Media. Find us online at iloveinspired.com. Our special guest today is Brigitte Mead, and I can't thank Brigitte enough for taking time to be here today and help tell the story of Gene Young and the Decora Impact Crater. 
So, where we were in the story, Brigida, was that Jean uh, had been doing this work researching on uh, well drilling findings and she had discovered the uh, shale layer, um, which uh, technically is called the Winnesheek Shale. Is that correct? That's right. I feel like that should have been a footnote song or something along the way. <laughs> Maybe it's not too late. We can talk to Beth and John. <laughs> well, I think that this discovery is going to inspire a lot of artists in many different ways. At least I hope so. Uh, yeah, that is ab- absolutely true. So uh, Jean Young had been spending her life here. Uh, she had done an enormous amount of geology work. Um, and again, I mean, Jean passed away in 2007. So it wasn't until really the tail end of her life that anyone really gave her any any time or credit on this idea that uh, something was off in decor. Something wasn't off, but something really interesting was going on here. Right. So she had um, noticed this anomaly and then... Um, she had, uh, because she was interested in so many things, she had heard these old stories about how in the 1920s there had been um, a coal and oil boom in Decorah. Now, any oh, yeah. geologist would know that that is impossible because the layers of rock that carry those materials eroded away a long time ago. Sure. But as I tell high schoolers, there were scammers back then, <laughs> just like there are scammers now, looking to make a buck. And... Um, this person had found some black stuff in the hillside near Freeport, and he tried to convince people it was coal. Um, Probably didn't burn very well. No. <laughs> um, but, you know, people can be gullible. Yes. Um, so she went looking for it. She, she thought, there's got to be something close to Freeport, and um, she got Bob McKay from the Iowa Geological Survey to go mm-hmm. with her because she was quite crippled up by that point, walking with two canes. Anyway, the two this of them... Early 2000s? Right? Um, yes, about Somewhere 2000. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Um, so they went out walking that year. The river level was very low, and by golly, they found the shale. Wow. And uh, so that was pretty exciting. They brought some samples back. They were able to find some money somehow to do... Um, a well um, drilling. Um, this property was owned by the Hildebrands at the time, and they were always wonderful about supporting the geological research. And um, so I was there that day. They were just bringing up this black shale, but of course it was sort of pulverized. Um, but they knew that this was something important. Um, and Jean uh, got to be co-author on the first two major papers, proposing the idea that this might be an impact crater based on the distribution of the wells that had this black shale and the specimens that they found. So um, local people helped gather up money so that she could Mm -hmm. travel um, and uh, be away from her dogs and all that. So anyway, she helped to do this major scientific presentation. And one of the things that I love about this whole story is that it really reveals the nature of science, how it takes a yeah. long time, and there's this healthy skepticism. So they did these first two major papers. There was global skepticism at this <laughs> proposal that there was an impact crater under the city of Decorah, and um, they said, bring us more research, and so they did. And um, after Jean died, um, they were able to come in with, uh, they diverted one side of the river mm-hmm. for a couple of days, took out, uh, I think about, uh, three or four tons of material. Wow. And that was distributed essentially around the world to other, um, paleontologists who were experts in the, um, Ordovician fossils. And, um, they, 
the fact that there's an impact crater is a major scientific discovery. Yeah. But the fossils that they found in this shale are extraordinary. Wow. And um, the most famous is Pentacopterus decoraensis, which is a, a man-sized sea scorpion. Um, <laughs> pretty dramatic. And this fossil evidence is at least 9 million years older than any other sea scorpion found anywhere wow. on this planet so far. There's kind of a, there's a couple of things here. There's kind of a layer that you describe of like um, a couple of things you have to understand about this story. I think there's sort of like three things that you had mentioned. And one is sort of the concept of deep time. So the, the, the timing we're talking about with this discovery and when this thing would have existed was somewhere around 460 million years ago, roughly. Yeah. Uh, to give people a reference if they're not quick on their geology. I mean, the, the time of dinosaurs was maybe... 200 million years ago? Oh, no. Or not even? Much uh, more recent. So Right. I mean, we're talking so, about a very, very long time ago. <laughs> yeah. This, these fossils had been fossils for 200 million years, <laughs> 150 million years sure. before the dinosaurs. Yeah. So they these had are been very, fossils very for 150 old. million years yeah, before there was anything like a dinosaur. Incredible. There were no fish yet. Right. Incredible <laughs> to think about and incredible to think that they were preserved and, and found yeah. uh, here in Decora. Um, so it's a little bit hard to wrap your head around, but a really interesting thing to think about. And that is, that is really why this is such a significant uh, finding in a lot of ways, correct? Yes. Um, these fossils come from a period of time when there was a huge diversification event. And uh, these fossils provide a window into the early stages of that diversification event. Yeah, very, very, very cool. Uh, and fun to mention on a local level, so there is a model that was made of this um, essentially seven-foot-long, tall yeah. uh, scorpion creature. Um, it's in varying states, and uh, I, I think there's a lot of work and interest in kind of helping tell this story better, correct? So, I mean, uh, we, yes. we're going to keep telling the story, but also, like, there is a whole a whole process going on right now, which I think is part of why you're so important in this story, as well as that uh, in, in how we are telling the story and how we can tell this story better uh, and share it really with more people. There are a lot of people um, that are helping with <laughs> yes. this. Laura Peterson, who is a geochemist at, at Luther College, yeah. is um, just in conversation uh, with uh, researchers from the University of Iowa. There's a lot more to do uh, there. <laughs> and um, she and I recently picked up uh, a model that was made... Um, it was commissioned by National Geographic for a little uh, video that they did about this whole find of both the, the crater and, and the fossils therein. Um, and then the artist who's uh, from Denver actually made another one that was in a bus museum that the University of Iowa sent around for several years. Oh, wow. And then that was dismantled when funding changed and it's been sitting um outside someone's office for several years. And um, Winnishik County Conservation uh, has done significant work. Um, and then community volunteers have done significant work and Luther uh, to bring the model up here as sort of a focus yeah. for, um, for understanding uh, the importance of this fossil find. Um, and my personal dream is that eventually we're going to have uh, a life-size model that is something that children can sit on. Yeah, 
cool. Yeah, like, wahoo. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and, and there's no better way to uh, capture the minds of young people than the, something they can see, right? right. Kind of a cool a, a side point to that as well as I was reading up on this. The, I'm glad you said it first as well, but the Pentecopterus decoranus. Decoranus. Decoraensis. Thank you. <laughs> so close. I'm not the only one. Uh, the interesting part, we call it a giant sea scorpion because that's probably the closest we have. It's sort of a, a crustacean sort of uh, shell of, a, of an animal, right? But it wasn't like it had a big stinger tail. It wasn't like a scorpion like we think of necessarily, whereas it was um, a seven-foot-long creature that lived in the ocean, probably was what's referred to as like an apex predator. probably at the top of the food chain because it was big and it could catch probably. things. Um, but it wasn't you know, necessarily quite what we think of as like a scary thing in the desert. Um, a, little right. bit, a little bit different type of yeah, a creature. A distant cousin, actually in the group Calicera, which kind of rhymes with Decora. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, so that meant that it had these uh, pointy mouth parts that uh-huh. in its cousins might be fangs, um, but it probably didn't have a stinging tail, but it, it has a, a body shape kind of like uh, yeah. a scorpion. Yeah, and really the easiest way to, to, to understand what it might have looked like. So, I mean, I think it's a, it's a really, really cool. I mean, this story in, in specific is fascinating because I think it could really capture a lot of minds uh, and inspire people on a whole nother level to, about the science and geology of our area and, and in general as a, even a career, right? Mm-hmm. Of, of whether you're teaching or learning about geology and science and history and all those things. I've been doing quite a bit of work in the, in the schools as teachers ask me, and I've developed some models to help kids understand um, the crater. There's a very common misconception, yes. uh, and that is that you can feel that we're down in a crater, because if you look to the north, south, east, or west, it, we're in a bowl. But that is um, all because of erosional forces, and the crater is significantly deeper than anything yes. you can see. It's extraordinary that there's one little place close to the rim where we can actually find a little bit of shale, but mostly you have to dig quite deep. Yeah, and I, th- I think we were talking earlier, the example you gave, for instance, if you were standing in downtown Decor on Water Street, uh, that crater, the shale itself, you know, some of those things might be 100 feet deep, might right. be further. Right. Uh, so it really isn't what shapes Decor now necessarily. And that was all it's shaped not much, much later. Yeah. Uh, limestone is a very different thing on the surface and rivers and, and all those things. So yeah. Come see my model when I share it with the fourth yes, graders. <laughs> absolutely. I love it. I love it. Uh, but a really good point to the story and, and, and Gene's work. Work. Um, and so, you know, rounding it back to Gene, what's really interesting is that so a lot of this work started happening in the early 2000s. Uh, it was around 2004 or 5 maybe that some of the, the geological survey of the further work was getting done. Um, and then in 2010, I believe, was it? Uh, that was it the excavation really right. happened. So it was really after Gene had passed away when that discovery happened. Right. Uh, and she would have been so excited. She would have been she so excited. <laughs> you know, and as you just. Out of her skin with excitement that there was something like. Right, <laughs> that big. And as you describe the the largest fossil that was found, which is a good point to make as well, there are thousands of fossils that are in this shale and have been researched already and, and are looking, you know, being looked at all over the world. Yes, mm-hmm. um, but the largest one as well. I mean, if we were to think of Gene, I honestly, it's it's kind of a sea dragon. Yeah, <laughs> which is a brilliant, <laughs> a brilliant come around to Gene. Right. Uh, yeah. Which is amazing. But, you know, this material is still out there. Um, just the small bit that was uh, uh, was able to be collected in 2010 and is still being researched in, in lots oh, of yeah. places, right? And and there is much more work to be done. Um, and it's it's not just the Eurypterids, the sea scorpions, but um, many other organisms 
not maybe quite as exciting, except perhaps um, the conodonts, which basically looks like a worm with buggy eyes and a whole bunch of little teeth. Wow. Um, but also some things that look a little clammy and then all the things that look wormy. And these are really <laughs> important things for understanding how things have changed over time. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot more to be learned from from this shale. Absolutely. Yeah, oh, I love it. It is such a such a vivid uh, descriptions of things that can be found in those in those ways. Um, you know, what's the in in wrapping up the show here? What do you think the what would be the ultimate goal? Like the way that this can be able to be shared besides the scorpion that we can sit on, which I really love the <laughs> idea of. Where do you see this information going or kind of being shared or collected? Well, um, people come with their own interests. Um, uh, there's work on like a, um, a biking trip that can take you to many parts of, you know, so, so signage that lets you know you are now entering the crater or you are now exiting the crater. And yeah. with each sign helping to explain the geology and the paleontology, um, as well as a, a driving tour, because not everybody's going to bike. Um, mm-hmm. Continuing with um, the models that help to understand the geology, I'd like some more durable ones for the schools. Um, and, um, there's going to be a sign already up at Luther very soon. One interesting little point quickly is that the rim of the crater goes right through the Luther campus. So the union Uh is inside the crater and the football field is outside the crater. Oh, interesting. That's (laughs) fascinating. Oh, so it's really right there. It's right there. Oh my goodness. That's great. And it's something else Gene would probably love. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So there are a number of projects, and um, Iowa RCND out yes. of Postville is uh, working on the funding. We're, we have to decide um, what are our highest priorities, and um, then make a real plan. Step one of getting the model here um, has been accomplished. Now it needs to be repaired, and then we may need to make a plan for it. Sure, absolutely. But there's a task force of um, people from. The city, from county conservation, from RCND, from Luther, all of us working together to yeah. make a comprehensive plan. A working group. That's a, yeah. it's an amazing thing. It's such an amazing story, um, both of of Jean and being really on the forefront of not only her her world of work, but also this discovery, uh, and, and then of course of the discovery itself and and what that means for our area and also mm-hmm. just the, the general interest. It's a really really great story. So yeah. thank you for all of your work that you are doing to help share it uh, and and help tie people. To together and, and do those things as well and get the get the all of the the bus driving in the right direction right yeah. and it takes a it takes a village yeah well thanks for asking more to come <laughs> absolutely more to come it's worth mentioning so there's possibly also a website in the mix um, that will be coming, coming down the future so people can keep their ears and eyes open for that we'll share it when we get a chance to do that uh, and also in the meanwhile uh, if people visit the uh, visit decora.com that is sort of our visitor center uh, there is also a page on there that explains more about it, some of the science behind it, uh, and a little more there. And um, I'm sure they'll be able to drive people in the right direction as well. So another place to check out. So uh, Brigitte Mead, we can't thank you enough for taking time out of your day to be here, share part of this story. It is a fantastic story. I love uh, helping uh, keep the memory of Gene Young alive uh, and encourage all those out there who have a, a passion or a nudge or a, a hunch that they should follow it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Awesome. Thanks for being here today, Brigitte. Uh, this is Rhymes with Decora. We're a companion podcast of uh, I Love Inspired.com, uh, Inspired Media, Aaron Henny Nichols, and myself, a quarterly magazine you can find around the region. Thanks again to our sponsor today, Impact Coffee, helping you bring uh, this show to us today. You can find us all on iloveinspired.com. If you enjoyed the music today uh, on our show, it is the work of Mr. Nick Zielinski. Nick is a drummer. He's a decoran. All-around fascinating guy. You can find him on Instagram at indicative of drumming. Thanks for hanging out with us today. We'll be back with another show soon. It's Rhymes with Decora.